0: And you can have a seat and turn to John chapter 3. Again, happy Father's Day. It is Dad's Day. I've been thinking about my three kids. Jackson is 13, Annabeth is 10, and Willa is 3. So I've been thinking about them. I've also been thinking about my dad. I called him last night. It's one of the Occupational obstacles of working on a Sunday is, uh, you know, uh, I start my day pretty early on Sunday, so uh, I can't call him in the morning, but I don't want to call him in the afternoon because it looks like maybe I forgot to call him in the morning (laughs) until I saw on Facebook, oh, yeah, it's Father's Day. So I made sure to call him last night before my sister called him this morning, because that's a real thing among brothers and sisters. And, you know, in her defense, she's making him lunch today, so all I did was call him, Uh, but uh, when I was talking to him last night, I was just remembering a a lot of what my childhood was like, and I I think I've told you this before, but I never saw a repairman in our home growing up. For the 20 years that I lived at 3934 West Young Street, Springfield, Missouri, 65803. They don't live there anymore, so it doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) The, I never saw a plumber. I never saw an electrician. I never saw an air conditioner person because my dad did all of it. And so when I think about my childhood, I think of a, a towel that looks a lot like this. I don't know if your dad had to, uh, shop towels, right? In our house, there was a towel that you used inside the house. And once it was worn out, it graduated to his garage in which very quickly it looked like this, because if you're, you know, doing all that work, the electrical, the plumbing, the uh, maintenance, the building, you know, you're going to be dirty and slimy and have to wipe up things. And so I just remember his garage being filled with towels uh, that look a lot like this. And this towel, what it symbolizes to me is uh, a good dad, because a good dad says, I am going to serve. I'm going to put other people ahead of me. I'm going to put your, your mom and you and your sister. I'm going to put them ahead of me. And I'm going to serve just to make sure that you have what you need. And I'm doing everything that I can to, to, to give you what you need. Uh, I think that's what a good dad does. A good dad says, I'm not first. Uh, I'm not at the top. But like the Lord, I'm, I'm going to the bottom to lift others up. Uh, We just happen to be at the end of John chapter 3 as we're making our way through the gospel. And what's interesting is the attitude of a good father is the attitude that John the Baptist showed at the end of John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible with me, John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 22. If you remember from last week, a religious man named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and Jesus gave him some private lessons. Lessons about eternal life, lessons about being born again Lessons about what the kingdom of God really was. Lessons about what it means to live inside the light. And it says in verse 22, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man that was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Verse 30 is the peak, the, the crux, the heart of these few verses. He must become greater and I must become less. I don't normally give titles to my message, but if I was going to give a title today, it's growing up into becoming less. As you and I seek to grow in our spiritual maturity, as the scripture would have us do, We don't grow up spiritually to become more, more about us, more self-focused, more self-confident. But we grow up into becoming less, not worthless, because God has placed great value on us. He created us. He called us. Jesus gave his life for us. But less in the way that John the Baptist means it in verse 30. He must become greater and I must become less, less about me. What we see in John the Baptist is Jesus glorifying radical humility. Jesus glorifying radical humility. And this is the way that Jesus has taught us. This is the way of the kingdom humility. He modeled it for us. Remember, he said in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life. As a ransom for many, so he didn't just say to his disciples, "If you want to be first, you have to become last. If you want to be great, you have to become servant of all." He actually modeled that for him, and then the early followers of Jesus they lived this out after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. The apostle Paul told the Corinthians, "When I came to you, I claim to know nothing except for Christ and Christ crucified." In parentheses, I'm a pretty smart guy, and I've philosophy, and I've studied, and I know a lot of things. But when I came to you, I didn't make myself out to be some great teacher. I just claimed a very simple, humble message. Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected from the dead dead, for the salvation of sins. To another church, Paul said, I could have asked you for money uh, because that's that's the way that God has orchestrated his church, that ministers would be supported by the gifts and offerings of people. But I knew that was gonna be a stumbling block for you. So even though it was my right to just be able to focus on full-time ministry, I didn't do that. I actually went and got a different job so that you wouldn't have any, A negative thing to say about me. So we see it, Jesus teaching it. We see Jesus modeling it. We see the first uh, the first Christians living this out—a radical humility that clearly, clearly communicates who Jesus is. And we see it in John the Baptist. But that's easier said than done. I think there are a few lessons. A few things that we can learn from John. There are four that I'm thinking of. The first one is, all I have, I have received from God. How do I have a Jesus-glorifying, radical humility? It starts by acknowledging, all I have, I have received from God. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Selim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Now, remember, from earlier in the gospel, John the Baptist had a ministry of baptizing people. Jesus came to him and was baptized to him. The Spirit of God landed on him in the form of a dove. Jesus begins his public ministry. And now Jesus, as one of the first acts of his ministry, is baptizing people. Jesus is in the Judean uh, Jordan plain. Uh, John is at another place, but they're both baptizing. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now, those two verses back to back don't seem to make sense. You have a Jewish person, they're a mystery to us because it's not that important, who comes and asks John's disciples about ceremonial washing. Now, we don't know what the context of that is, It could be that John the Baptist had been a member of a a group that was really committed to ritual purity. They were called the Essenes. And they were, in fact, so committed to ritual purity that they left society and they formed their own little society out in the wilderness where they could make sure that everything they did was very, very ritually pure. But John left them because God had a call on his life to be the forerunner, to prepare the way for Jesus. And so now he's in this gray area where he's still living in the wilderness. Maybe abiding by a lot of that purity, but he's partnering with people who aren't so pure in their minds. And so one of those, scenes has come and they're asking John's disciples, hey, what's the deal? We don't know exactly the context. What we do know is it must have wounded John's disciples because they did what I do. When somebody criticizes me, I just look who I can criticize. Right? Because we have that in the first verse. A Jewish person came, asked him a question about ceremonial washing. And then out of nowhere, the next verse is they're asking John, hey, what's the deal with Jesus who you baptized? Now he's out there baptizing people. And even more than that, uh, more people are going to him than are coming to us. Think how that must have hit John's insecurity button. I mean, his name was John the Baptist. It's in his name. You think that he maybe would have marked out his territory. I cannot save humanity from their sins. That's your job, Jesus. But baptizing is my job. But Jesus is baptizing. In fact, even more than that, chapter 4 is going to tell us that it wasn't even Jesus himself that was baptizing. It was disciples. So not only has he taken the thing that John the Baptist is known for, he's delegated it out to just regular people who are disciples of Of Jesus. Uh, In my late 20s, I was a student pastor up in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and we were trying to get back to Houston because. That's home base for us. And so just praying about what that season looked like. God opened a door here. And so I took a job here in Houston that would move us back. And so I went and told my pastor up in Dallas, hey, we're, we're going to move back to Houston. We feel like this is kind of what's next for us. He was very supportive. And uh, we decided my last week of work would actually not be in the office, but would be a mission trip to Honduras that I had planned. And I, I took college students to Honduras every spring break. And so I was going to finish that trip. That was going to be my final week of work. And that, that's the pastor. He actually loved that trip and he would always go on it with me. And, and so in the middle of the week, we're down in Tugusagapa, Honduras and I uh, kind of stumble into a conversation that he's having with one of the college students. You ever walk into a conversation and then you're like, oh, you're talking about me and now this is weird because if I walk away, it's just going to be weird. So I'm standing there and the college student has rightfully asked, what's the plan? Curtis is leaving. We know he's leaving. This is his last week. You know, what's essentially going to happen with us? And so... I don't know what I was expecting, but the, our pastor said, well, actually, we're getting ready to hire this person and this is his name and this is his start date and here's how much money he's going to make. No, he didn't share that part. But And for some reason, even though mentally I knew they're eventually going to replace me. It was eventually they're going to replace me after a period of mourning. <laughs> there's Jesus, then there's Curtis, and then there's way down here, whatever replacement we're going to find. For him, we're going to wear sackcloth and just church is going to be nothing but ash when we get there. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting them to have moved on so quickly. In fact, it seemed like this pastor had thought of this guy before I'd even told him that I was leaving. And even though I I knew all of that was going to happen, it just touched this button in me that I was more easily replaced than than I thought I would be, or, or maybe even should be. And I bet this whole baptism thing with, I bet it touched something in John. You know, he was the baptizer. And now Jesus is doing what he's doing. And more than that, the disciples say, everybody is going to him. And you know, what's interesting is in Mark chapter one, at the beginning of John's ministry of baptism, that's what they said about John. All of Jerusalem and Judea were going out in the wilderness to be baptized by John the Baptist. So you would think there would be something in him. But look how he responds in verse 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He says to those disciples, look, guys. The ministry that I had, we had. We only had it because God gave it to us. God didn't ask us if we wanted it. He just gave it to us. And if he didn't ask when he gave it to us, then he's probably not going to ask when he takes it away. All that we have, we have received from God. I was talking with my 10-year-old daughter, Annabeth, earlier this week and driving in the car. She was telling me all about what her life is going to be like when she's an adult and she's got big plans. She was telling me about the kind of home that she wants to live in, uh, what she wants to do for a living, how much money she wants to make, where she wants to go on vacation. This is the, the whole, it was the whole thing. And so I said to her at some point, now, Hey, don't forget when you're thinking about all these things and all this money that you're going to have and all of that. I mean, she's 10, she doesn't really have concept for how much things cost. I said, you know, you're going to want to have room to, to give back to God through, through the church. And in fact, the Old Testament." gives a number to that, 10%. And she was like, 10%, that sounds like a lot. And I was like, yeah, based on how much you think you're gonna make, that is a lot of money. (laughs) And she was just, felt a little bit shocked by that. And I was like, well, you gotta remember, one of the reasons that God would have us do that is to remind us that all that stuff you listed before, where you're gonna live and what you're gonna do and where you're gonna go and what you're gonna have, he tells us to, to give a percent, to give generously, to remind us that all that stuff comes from him. That it doesn't come from our hard work or our good job. It's really a gift from God. So when I give just out of the moments that I feel like I have extra to give, it's because I have extra. But when I decide ahead of time, this is what I'm going to give, it reminds me that, that all I have is from, from God. And that's what John the Baptist shared with his disciples. This wasn't ours. This wasn't mine. Any ministry that I was able to do, God first put in my hands. And think about how important that is to Jesus glorifying radical humility. Because if you think, and I think, that all that we have, we have earned, that's a reason for pride. That's a reason to look down on somebody who has less than we do because it means that they have not worked as hard or worked as smart as we have. But if we recognize everything that I have is from God. Yes, I've partnered with God in a lot of daily grinding. But really all I have is from God. Then it, it imposes a, a rightful humility in us. Second thing that I want you to write down. How I can have and you can have Jesus glorifying radical humility. I know who I am and who I am not. I know who I am and whom I am not. You yourselves, verse 28, can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. So John uses wedding party language. Now, it's not random. Actually, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah use wedding language to describe Israel's relationship with God. So he's intentionally bringing that in. And he's saying, hey, in this wedding between God and his people, I'm not the main event. I'm not the the groom. I am a groom's men. I'm here in support of the groom. And the groom is Jesus. I've already told you guys that I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that God has sent. Jesus is. So you shouldn't be surprised that this has happened. All we've received is from God And this is the way it was supposed to happen. If you've been to a wedding or you've been in a wedding party, you know that you do everything that you can to make sure that you don't steal spotlight from the bride or groom. Uh, We had five groomsmen in our wedding. Amanda wanted more in the wedding party, but I only had five friends. So that's where we had to put a (laughs) cap on it. One of the friends was a... uh, Well, he is a loose cannon, still is a loose cannon. He's fun in that way. But there was a a microphone opportunity for all the groomsmen. And so we made sure that we knew what he was going to say. We made sure that he had it written down. We made sure that he understood that off the cuff was not a thing that was happening at our wedding with him. He may have been offended by the lack of trust, but he earned the lack of trust over the period of our friendship. That's why he's the groomsman, because he was fun to be around, not, not, but we're not giving him a microphone. There's two distinctions. I like you around. I don't want you talking. Because I... the wedding party can't make it about the wedding party. The wedding party's job is just to lift up the bride and the, the groom. And this is what John is, is saying. Right? This is not about me. I am the groomsman. I know who I am. I'm I'm the forerunner. I I know who I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. And I think that we're fine saying out loud who we are and who we are not. I think we all know these are my strengths. Uh, This is what I have. Uh, This is what I don't have. I think we're fine with all of those things until we take... All of those things and we compare them to who other people are and who other people are not. It's like I'm fine with what I have until I compare what I have to what you have. Then I want what you have. I'm fine that you have a better fill in the blank than I have until I actually think about how you have a better fill in the blank than than I have. And this would have been John's temptation. Yeah, in general, he was fine being the forerunner to Jesus until they were both baptizing and there was something to compare. There were were numbers. More people are going to Jesus than are going to me. The, The challenge is, can I know who I am and who I am not in comparison with other people? And I think that one of the reasons that we get caught up is because we overemphasize the importance of this life that we're living right now. When we think about our life, we are trying to maximize it in every way, including length. We're trying to put as many quality years in as possible. And then we know in Christ, we have eternal life. That's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We, we read that verse last week, right? So when we believe in Christ, we receive eternal life. And we know that comes when Jesus returns or after we die. But that is almost hard for us to wrap our minds around. And, and so we don't have any imagination towards it. And so we end up putting a lot of emphasis on maximizing this 80 plus years that we have here. We even kind of, if we think about it in the timeline, this age that we're living in now, this moment that we're living in now, it's huge. And then there's something on the other side of it. But actually what the scripture would teach us and specifically what Jesus would teach us is actually the opposite, right? This age, this moment that you're living in is, in fact, the scripture calls it a vapor. It's like a little mist. It's here and then it disappears, We have a steamer in our our closet. The, The steam disappears by the time it hits our ceiling, and we're, I mean, we're not living in a mansion. It's not a 30-foot ceiling. The vapor is gone. That's why Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. In this life, in this age, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal because that's the main thing. That's the long thing. So what does it matter if your house is bigger than my house in the vapor? What does it matter if you can take better vacations than I can take in the vapor? What does it matter if your kids make better grades than my kids in the vapor? It's so short. So don't sacrifice the main thing for the vapor. Do things in the vapor that will be treasure in the the main thing. John, John the Baptist, I think, understood this. This is my job in this moment to be a forerunner for Jesus. But it's just this moment. There's a kingdom that's coming. There's an age to to come. And that's what I'm living for. I know who I am and who I am not. Number three, I find joy where I am and in who I am. I find joy where I am and in who I am. I do want to say just, just real quick. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about just kind of normal life, just the, the grind of life, finding joy there. If you are being abused in any way, th- this is not a message for you to just be quiet and take it and pray. Uh, I think the church historically has done that. You know, you just pray harder and, and your husband will be nicer to you or, or whatever. If, if you are being abused in any way, in public or in secret, call the police. If you need help, we will help you. Call the police if it's a little more complicated than that. There is somebody who can help you. This is not find joy in something that God would not have for you. I don't know why. I just feel the need to say that. It is not God's will for any person, especially any child, to be abused. I'm talking about finding joy just right here in the regular every day of life. Even when things are not going well. Think about how John says it. And it's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice, verse 29. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. I'm mean, Think about how costly it must be to partner those two sentences together. He must become greater and I must become less. And my joy is full, it's, it's complete. My joy is reaching maximum capacity while my ministry is waning. While my importance in this world is getting less and less and less, my joy is getting more and more and more. The message most of the world gives us is those two things are tied together. The more important you are, the more joy you'll have. But John says, I'm actually finding more joy in becoming less because I'm doing the job that God has for me to do. When I think of joy, I'm talking about resolved happiness that is the fruit of the Spirit aided by thanksgiving. Resolved happiness... That is the fruit of the spirit aided by thanksgiving because John's joy is not easy. It's actually very costly and expensive because, again, his fame is disappearing. Now, I've never been famous. I'm guessing most of us have never been famous. But if you walk into a room and for a while you are the most important person in the room and then something happens and you walk into the room and nobody cares, I bet that's pretty hard to deal with. His fame is going down, 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 down. And then on top of that, he's going to end up in prison. That's what this passage says. And we know from the other gospel that his prison sentence is going to end not with a release, but with a beheading. He's going to die. And still he's saying, my joy is complete because I'm doing what God has asked me to do. I know where I am and who I am, and I'm finding joy there. We live in a you-can-be-anything-that-you-want culture. And that is sort of true, right? Like if you are a uh, like kind of a nerdy guy today, but it's Father's Day and your masculinity is being raised up and you think I'm going to become a fisherman. You can drive down this freeway right here to Bass Pro and you can reinvent yourself for a hundred grand. You can reinvent yourself with a nice boat. And you would come back to church next Sunday and we would be like, you're a fisherman. You didn't need to bring your pole this morning, but we respect it. You can reinvent yourself. You can do the opposite. If you're kind of a burly, manly hunter guy, but you want to be a computer guy or a a business guy or a Silicon Valley guy, you could reinvent yourself that way. But there are ways that you can't be anything you want. Like the ship has sailed. I cannot play in the NBA finals. I would have liked to do that at one point in my life. Thought I was going to do that. Um, five foot nine, unathletic, not an impressive resume <laughs> to get you into the NBA finals. So in some ways, you can be what you want. And in other ways, you 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 can't be what you want. But that, that gray area of sometimes you can and sometimes you can't, what it does for us is it's always a carrot on the stick. Right? That joy is just... Ahead of you. Joy is just in the next season. Joy is on the next page. It's not on this page, but it's in a reinvention of yourself or uh, um, a renovation of your life or uh, when things change a little little bit. The reason you're unhappy now is because you have these things in your life, but when they're gone, you will be happy. So today's Father's Day, maybe some of you would like to be a father and you're not a father yet. When I get kids, I'm going to be content. When, when these kids are older and they're a little easier, that's when I'm going to experience joy. When these kids get out of my house, that's where I'm going to be the most joyful. Now I miss those kids when, when my grandkids get back into this house. That's when I'm going to be happy. Joy is just always in the waiting for us in the next season, and then we get to the next season, and then for some reason, then it's, oh, it's in the next season. I mean, just, just think, if you could go back in time and tell the 21-year-old version of you, those of you who are a little bit older, all that you have right now, and then you told them, but I'm still not really content and happy. They'd think you're crazy. If I went back to the 21 year old version of myself and I said, here's where you're going to live, here's where you're going to have, and here's your kids, and here's your church family. And then I said, but you know, I'm just really not, not content. The 21 year old version of me would say, you, you have so much more than I've even have ever imagined but because we live in this you can be anything you want sort of sometimes culture we think really happiness is just waiting on us ahead and it's, the truth is is we just need to res- be resolved to find joy in this season through the power of the spirit of god filling our lives aided by thanksgiving remembering everything that i have comes from god then finally i honor jesus as lord how do i have radical humility that glorifies Jesus, I honor Jesus as Lord. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So Jesus is saying, if you're of the earth, you speak of the earth and you're of the earth, but I am not of the earth. I have come from heaven. I am God's son. I have been anointed by God's spirit at my baptism. I am above all. Verse 32, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Now, isn't it interesting that earlier in this story, it says that all people are going out to him. John's disciples are bothered because so many people are going out to be baptized by Jesus out in the wilderness. But Jesus here says, through John, no one is listening to me. No one is receiving my testimony which is a really good reminder to uh, those of us who have become really proficient at coming to church that it's possible to be around and not be changed. If you have to think of ways in which you need to be transformed more into the image of Jesus, you're not thinking hard enough. What a, what a terrifying summary of someone's life. They were around and never transformed. But he has the words from God, it says in verse 32. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony. Verse 33, whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives spirit without limit. Jesus is filled with the spirit of God, anointed by the spirit of God at his baptism. He speaks the words of God. It's Father's Day. You may have had one of those fathers that whatever they said was law. But this is a good reminder that even in my own life, my own word is not law. Jesus' words are. Verse 35: The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Again, a theme of John chapter 3: Believing in Jesus the Son, we receive eternal life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9: The Apostle Paul would later go on to say, That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do we receive salvation and eternal life? We do so by saying out loud, Jesus is Lord. And God has proven that by resurrecting Jesus from the dead. As I mentioned, Jesus not only taught these things, but he modeled them for us. Chapter 13 of this same gospel. It says in verse one, it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had gone from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Skip down to verse 12. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of all and above all, carried a towel, how much more should we, his followers, be filled with humility that would cause us to wash one another's feet, to take the place of a servant, to not say, I'm first, I'm the best, to not try to make everything in this vapor all about me, but to follow his teaching, follow his example, follow the example of the early Christians and have a radical humility that helps people see Jesus more clearly. I am guessing that you and I are more influential in this city for Jesus' sake than we think that we are. It's just our pride is blurring the picture for so many people. Like John the Baptist, We need to realize that everything we have is from God. We need to know who we are and who we are not. We need to find joy in who we are and who we are not. And remember that Jesus is our Lord. And if Jesus, our Lord, washed people's feet, then we should too. Let's pray.